0: Hey there, it's Mara schiavo and you're listening to Motivated. Whether you work out regularly or someone who really watches your diet or maybe you've slipped off the wagon or gained back some weight that you've lost or you just need an extra push to help you stay on track, staying motivated is key and that's why we're here to help. Every week we're bringing you the top health, wellness and fitness experts along with a lot of really amazing everyday people and it's all about helping you live a healthier and happier life. Thank you So we're here today with with Colin O'Brady. Now, you're a two-time world record holder, the Explorers Grand Slam and Seven Summits Speed Records. Two-time world record holder. Congratulations. Thank Thanks you. for being Thank here. Thank
1: you. Oh, my pleasure. So
0: first of all, tell us what those are, what, what the world records are for.
1: Okay. So the Explorers Grand Slam is sort of a coveted mountaineering prize. So it uh, comprises climbing the tallest mountain on each of the seven continents, collectively known as the Seven Summits, as well as completing expeditions to both the North and South Poles. Um, about fewer than 50 50 people, About 50 people now have completed the Grand Slam, and I aimed last year to become the fastest person to do that. So I completed all of that in 139 days.
0: So you haven't just done it. You've been the fastest person to yeah, do it.
1: Yeah, the fastest person to do it. Only a couple people have ever done it in under a year, and I did it in just about uh, four and a half months, so 139 days.
0: Yeah. Wow. And yeah. how do you even begin to train for something like that?
1: Yeah, it's pretty tough. You know, um, my background growing up, I was a swimmer and a soccer player. I went to Yale University, swam there, and then uh, by sort of a... Bunch of different circumstances ended up racing triathlon professionally, so that was my background, sort of endurance sports of various capacities, and uh, evolved that into this mountaineering project. So really, having that big aerobic motor uh, helps a lot when you're not only climbing one mountain, but have to have that endurance to go back to back to back for over a hundred days. So that was a big part of the climbing, but or the training. But it was uh, a hard thing to train for. You don't really can't really simulate what it's like to be on Mount Everest <laughs> or be at the you know South Pole dragging a sled across Antarctica or whatnot. So that was was, you know, a lot of new surprises during the journey.
0: But are there things that you do to sort of simulate high altitudes or to get prepared for the temperature changes? I mean, is there a way to prepare somewhat?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly I, you know, I did some things in terms of climbing other mountains uh, to prepare some other mountains in Nepal, some high altitude climbs there as well as the cold. But Honestly, my first stop on this whole journey actually was Antarctica, where it began. That was uh, your first stop. First stop, yeah. So I, I, the little this little tiny plane drops you off in the middle <laughs> of the Antarctic plat, uh, plateau. Then they drive, they fly off, and you're put in, completely alone. And then minus wow. minus forty degrees is the average temperature there. So and you were alone? I was on that expedition. I was with a couple other people, so to various people, and sometimes I was alone on various these expeditions. But you know, minus forty degrees—the only way I can really describe that—is I took a cup of boiling water from my tent and threw it into the air, and it instantly turns into ice. So that's oh my uh, God. imagine walking through that day after day, dragging a hundred and fifty-pound sled behind you with all your gear. It's, uh, but when you <laughs> say you
0: were with a couple other people, how many people were with you?
1: So on that part of the expedition, um, for the South Pole expedition it was me and three others so four of us total. So four of you and
0: four of you that there there are no like rest stops there are no No, like you are by yourself. Oh yeah
1: it's like you are looking in all directions it's just like endless white in every direction and of course down there at that time of year it's 24 hours of sunlight so the sun's directly overhead so it's kind of like it's cool to look at for a couple of minutes and then you realize it's like the most blank canvas ever so your mind is free to just wander in a million directions um, as you walk sort of in a straight line across this frozen landscape
0: and God forbid you need help. Is there a way to have that plane come back for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously this there's some dangers in all of this, but uh, Antarctica has a lot of safety measures in that there are some scientific bases and some infrastructure on various parts of the continent. So if worse comes to worse, obviously try to avoid that at all costs. Um, there are some, you know, airplanes and helicopters that hopefully could come, come pick you up. So you have satellite phones and things like that just in case, but fortunately we didn't have to um, have that happen.
0: But psychologically that must be kind of one of the bigger burdens when you're dealing with something like that that you're alone that you're in a unfamiliar territory the sun is shining 24 hours a day it's freezing cold how do you manage that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, I mentioned there was a few other people with me, but because you're so cold and everything has to be so wrapped up, I mean, you don't have no exposed skin, so your face is completely covered. There's not a lot of talking. It's not like you're walking side by side having a chat. You're really pretty much in your own headspace. We're only stopping for a few minutes at a time just to take a quick drink of water, a bite of food, um, And if you're outside, if you're not in what the do tent. You
0: eat in Antarctica? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, freeze-dried <laughs> meals a lot, uh, you know, different things you can cook easily, but you're carrying everything with you. So every pound of food that you bring, uh, you're dragging along with you, and then you're melting the snow uh, for water. So you got to bring fuel with you as well. So you got to be pretty conscious about what you bring, but you're burning a ton of calories. You know, when it's that cold outside, you could burn you know five, six thousand calories a day easily, um, and even that might not be enough to replenish you. So staying hydrated, uh, eating eating you know enough calories is uh, pretty crucial to success.
0: Do you try to bulk up before something like
1: that? Um, I did a little bit, although um, not so much. Uh, Over the course of this whole project, I think I lost about ten or fifteen pounds, which is, um, I had to keep eating in in all of these places to be able to stay, to sustain sort of the endurance of all of this. But um, certainly, you know, Mount Everest in itself, uh, people often lose, you know, 30 pounds just on an expedition just there, Um, whereas Mount Everest was my eighth of nine expeditions. So if I was weak before I got there, it wasn't all going to work out. So I had to be really conscious of my diet.
0: I mean, you really hear people talk about, you know, you should eat for fuel, you should eat for fuel, which is one thing when you like, you know, you're like me, you sit behind a desk all day, eat for fuel, but you were literally eating for fuel. Yeah. You needed those calories to be able to do these challenges.
1: Oh, absolutely. But, you know, it's interesting you say that because, it, of course, this is an extreme set of circumstances that I put myself through. Um, but it really does hammer home the fact that, you know, calories in, calories out is a real thing. You know, it's it's an equation, more or less. So in this case, in these extreme environments, I needed six, seven, eight thousand calories to actually replenish what I was, you know, putting out by my body being so fatigued and cold and my heart rate elevated at um, altitude. But it's no different than if you're sitting behind a desk or whatever. It's just, the equation is just different, right? right. Your what you're burning is different. Um, so now, we
0: talk a lot here, you know, in this podcast about re- healthy and, and new and innovative ways to restrict calories without feeling like you're depriving yourself. You know right. that, that whole conversation about weight management. Sure. But when you're trying to really put in a lot of fuel, what what were you eating? Because I'm sure you weren't doing six thousand calories of chocolate, right? Because that wouldn't lead to high performance, right? What were you eating?
1: Yeah, you know, chocolate's not good for me, anyways. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm allergic. <laughs> oh. oh, you are? I know. I know. Oh, I know wow. Most people really. React <laughs> <negative> I <laughs>
0: would <delay> trade that. <laughs> that. I
1: would take that allergy in a minute. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. So, but actually high fat foods are pretty good up in the mountains um, uh, for, for reasons, just because you've got a lower heart rate and you're kind of in that fat burning mode and you are trying to keep a little bit of weight on. Um, but absolutely it's about for me, you know, what I found with my diet, one of the things that's most interesting is the Sherpas in Nepal, hands down this, you know, strongest athletes are some of the strongest athletes I've ever seen in the world, particularly at high altitude. And what they eat Pretty much three meals a day, seven days a week. It's something called dal bot. So it's mm-hmm. you know it's steamed rice, it's lentils essentially, and vegetables. Vegetarian diet. Wow. You know, basically getting the proteins from the lentils and uh, you know complex carbohydrates from uh, you know rice or some other type of grain, and that and that's it. But those guys are talk talk about high performance. I mean mm-hmm. those guys are really you know high performing. So it's a it's a clean, healthy diet with the ba- right balance of you know proteins and carbohydrates. So, so I figured it's good enough for them. It was good enough for me. So I, mm-hmm. I ate a lot of that when I was over there in Nepal and I love it.
0: Now, yeah, when you say that they're some of the, the best athletes that you've ever seen, I take your word for it. I'm curious, what is their body type like? They're able to do these feats.
1: You know, in stature, they're a little bit smaller than you would normally see, uh, you know, in the United States. But, you know, they're um, they're they're strong and, and lean and just the, their capacity for being able to move at high altitudes is incredible. Of course, you know, there's a genetic predisposition since, you know, their ancestors have lived at high altitude for so many generations. Um, but whatever it is of their physiology, they're able to, you know, carry more weight and climb faster and harder at altitude than really some of the the best Western athletes in the world.
0: So back to Antarctica. Yeah. Did you see any animals?
1: Um so no you know Antarctica has so many animals near the coast um of course the the penguins and all the wildlife in in the ocean but uh in the middle of the Antarctic continent there is really nothing so i was dropped off at the 89th degree um crossed the last degree of latitude to make the south pole and uh, absolutely nothing just whiteness at the north pole however um there are polar bears there uh we encountered a lot of polar bear tracks um but fortunately for me we didn't actually see any live but we had to carry a gun and flares and all that sort of stuff to uh Uh, to be safe
0: wow what an adventure yeah were you marveling at it at the time or were you just trying to get through it
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, you try to take it in. For me, uh, maybe it sounds cliche, but it's always about the journey rather than the destination. Of course, standing on top of the final mountain, knowing I'd set two world records was a highlight of the trip, but really um, the landscape and the people I met. And for for me, this was a part of a, a, a bigger mission. This was a part of a mission about inspiring kids to live active, healthy lives, to get outside, move their bodies was a huge part of the entire mission behind this. And that was all through sort of media and programming throughout the entire course of this. So I was really drinking it in the entire time and really trying to, you know, of course, internalize the experience for myself, but also in an external way, you know, project a story and a narrative that could capture people's imagination and inspire them to, you know, do amazing things in their own lives.
0: Now, I'm of the belief that we we can often do much more than we think we can physically. It's it's all a mental game, right? Sure. So that's the challenge that all of us are facing is yep. can we convince ourselves that we can do something. So when you're going through the physical trials that you went through, and more extreme than I think most athletes ever go through from the, the calories you'd to eat to mm-hmm. the out to the temperature, what's your mental game? What are you saying to yourself to get through those really hard moments?
1: You know, for me, I think I'd have to take this back to about nine and a half years ago, almost 10 years ago now, I was severely burned in a fire in Thailand, you know, my How entire... How So happened <laughs> I was... Uh, being a foolish 22-year-old kid just out of college, and I was uh, jumping a flaming jump rope on a rural beach in Thailand. Um, believe it or not, for those of you out here who've been to, that have been to Thailand, you know that fire dancing is somewhat common over there. But I partake in that activity, and uh, it went terribly wrong. The rope wrapped around my legs, oh, lit God. me on fire to my neck. Oh, um, Had to dive into the ocean to extinguish the flames, which ultimately saved my life, but not before my body was severely burned, my legs and feet. You know, um, and then I spent the next three months uh, in, in various Thai hospitals, um, some at first very rural, where there was like literally a cat running around my bed in the okay. ICU when I came that's out of the sanitary. yeah, so <laughs> not a good set of circumstances. Um, and the scariest thing is that the doctors were telling me, "Hey, you, you'll probably never walk again normally." Oh um, and, and you so were an athlete; I had been an athlete through college, um, and you know, this was just after college, so it was just kind of a. I think that's a terrible diagnosis, no matter who you are, but particularly someone, uh, a young man, kind of be on the precipice of adulthood. You know, to be told, "Hey, you know, no longer are you going to be an athlete." But you're night and I would be able to walk again normally. So that was really hard for me. But a testament to my mother, if we talk about speak about the mental game, which was your question is, you know, she came into my she flew over to Thailand and spent that time with me in the hospital. And she told me every day, she said, I know now she was crying in the hallways and completely freaked out, you know, as a mother seeing her son in the state, but she never showed me that fear. You know, she was inside my hospital room every day with a smile on her face, an air of positivity, daring me to dream about the future saying to me, what do you want to do when you get out of here? Like, let's set a goal. Let's move towards the future. And initially I didn't want to, you know, I I was depressed. I was feeling terrible. I thought my life as I knew it was over, but finally I decided to sort of play along with her game. And I set myself a goal of one day completing a triathlon. So, which is not something I'd ever done before. I've been a swimmer in college, but never biked or run. I said, fine, that would signal to me that I had overcome this accident. So You know, I know we in the interest of time, I won't tell the full story, but, you know, 18 months in the future after learning how to walk again, I was flown back to the U.S. after three months, still hadn't taken a single step. Um, I uh, signed up for the Chicago Triathlon, had been a year and a half and uh, completed that race, which was an amazing moment for me to, you know, kind of prove myself uh, wrong or prove despite those odds that I could thrive. But I didn't just complete the Chicago Triathlon. I actually won the entire race, beating (laughs) five. thousand other participants wow. on the day. And uh, that reprogrammed my ability to think about mindset. I mean, I really, that, you know, your your question about this in the most recent mountaineering adventure was what was I thinking about during the hard times? And although I wouldn't wish... That tragedy of the burn accident on my worst enemy, um, overcoming that and excelling and thriving after that has taught me that all of us, not just me—it's not like I have some special thing about me—I'm just a normal guy. Every single one of us has this amazing mental capacity to, um, you know, overcome obstacles. When you believe in yourself, you keep putting one foot in front of the other. Literally for me, it was one step at a time. Um, but day after day, with that hard work, we can achieve incredible things. You know, we have all have reservoirs of untapped potential inside of us, and when we we can have that positive mindset. Um, even in the midst of the terrible, hard setbacks that life's going to throw at us, we can continue to move forwards and do incredible things.
0: So when you're in that moment of pain, and I, I don't mean like pain, I mean that pain of what you're exerting yourself and you're uncomfortable and your body is saying, please stop. When you're in that moment of pain, is there anything you're saying to yourself? Do you have any mantras?
1: Um, there's a couple of things. Um, so one of, the, one of my big mantras is this too will change. Um, just this I think it comes from I, I've uh, over the course of the last five or six years I've gotten pretty into meditation. Um, but uh, there's a you know sort of a Buddhist philosophy, or I think it's a, just a general philosophy of life. But there's impermanence in this world, right? Now, everything will change. You know, everything changes. We are all born and we all die. You know that's sort of the reality of life. Um, but not to be fatalistic about it. But just the simple things. This too will change. Nothing is permanent. Um, and I, I did learn that you know through my and as well. It was as horrible as those moments where The tears, the trauma, the emotional, physical trauma. Like at some point, like it changed day by day. I got a little bit stronger. And so in those moments, climbing those mountains when, you know, I can hardly breathe, the wind's coming in. You know, there were some terrifying moments on some of these mountains. You know, climbing to the summit of Mount Everest is one of the hardest things I've ever done. But just that mantra of like this too will change. Just keep moving forward. You're going to get through this. Like the end is in sight. Um, And uh, that's a really powerful mantra for me.
0: Now, what makes Everest so hard when you've done all of them as you have? What makes Everest so hard?
1: Just the altitude. You know, Everest is 29,029 feet, which is the the same altitude that a commercial airliner flies at. You know, we're talking uh, very, very high up there. So the air is just so thin um, that uh, you're moving really slow. I mean, oftentimes people are taking... One step every 30 seconds or every minute, literally one step. And that's moving fast on the mountain. And is that <laughs>
0: how you manage that high altitude? Is just by moving slower? Your or there... body
1: just can't move faster than that. Like mm-hmm. you'll take one step and then it'll be like, <gasps> like completely out of breath and mm-hmm. then take another step. So just imagine moving that slow as well as, you know, you're talking about minus 40 degrees. Your body um, above 26,000 feet in mountaineering uh, parlance is known as the death zone. So mm-hmm. it's, it's called that for the reason that the human body really can't survive up. There physiologically, you're kind of slowly dying um, when you're up there, so you only have a tiny window of time that you can even be up there. I was using supplemental oxygen, which 98% of climbers on Everest do use. Um, but how even do, with and that, how is that administered? With, yeah, you're, you've tank. got an oxygen mask and you're carrying a tank on your back. Um, but that even that doesn't make it like you're feeling like you're at sea level. That's just mm-hmm. making it barely, barely um, possible. And I remember I got to the summit. And I pulled out my camera because, of course, I'm standing on summit of Everest. So I want to take a you know, photo or a video. <laughs> if there was ever a yeah. moment for a selfie. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So I pull out my GoPro and I pull down my mask and I say, I'm on the summit of... <gasps> I I couldn't even get the words out and so I had to take I was like, hold on, sit down for a second. Take two. I'm on the summit of Everest (laughs) But that just I mean, even in a moment where I was so elated I couldn't even get, you know, more than a few words out before literally being so out of breath I couldn't speak. So it's a really harsh environment.
0: And what about going down? I mean, is that just as challenging?
1: You know, any good mountaineer will tell you that, you know, the summit is only halfway. Of course, we have these celebrations on mountaintops, and certainly I've shed some tears and some meaningful hugs and things on the summit of mountains uh, over the course of my life. Um, But really, I think the true celebration happens when you get back down. Uh, Unfortunately, about 80% of climbing accidents happen on the descent because emotionally you've put so much into getting to the top. You're more physically fatigued coming down, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, you make a mistake on the way down. So I'm always really aware of that when I'm coming down, Mountains to just realize that although I'm happy I made it to the top, we can really celebrate when the feet are back on the ground.
0: Now you've talked about life challenges that have impacted your physical challenges, but does it work the other way around? The other way around as well. Are there lessons that you've learned in your physical challenges? Like you just said, the summit is only halfway. Yeah, I think so many people could relate to that in their life. Right, the peak is is only half of the journey. Yeah. What lessons do you take day to day when you're walking around? Maybe you have a fight with a family member, sure. You know, personal challenge.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, (laughs) as obvious as it is, I think mountains are a beautiful metaphor, you know, for the the peaks and valleys of life, the ups and downs, um, the, you know, I think that it's – you know, I'm a big believer in – you know having a big goals, um, but I'm also a believer in the incremental process to get there. I think sometimes, um, you know, metaphorically, when we're standing at the bottom of Mount Everest, um, we look up the top, it seems too far. So maybe you're somewhere out there, someone out there that has a big fitness goal. Um, I know a little bit about your story. I know mm-hmm. you've lost a, a significant amount of weight, which yeah. is incredible. Three
0: and three pounds at a time, is yeah. what I tell people exactly.
1: I mean, I'm, you weren't was like, Oh, I'm gonna lose this all tomorrow. Right. <laughs> um, it's the same way as with climbing a mountain, you're not standing at the bottom going, Hey, I'm gonna be up the top in one step. I'm mostly looking at a rock that might be 10 steps in front of me and being like, okay, can I get there? Can I move there? I actually, um, I, I carry a small rock uh, with me most days. Um, well, it's, that's from the summit of Mount Everest. And I carry that with me, not because I'm obsessive about mountains, although, of course, I love mountains. But for me, it's a reminder in my day-to-day life that even the biggest goals, even Mount Everest can be broken down to its smallest incremental parts, a bunch of small rocks stacked on top of each other. And I think that that's probably one of the more valuable lessons that I've learned throughout this whole process, which is incredibly value throughout valuable throughout my entire life it's just that incremental process of change it happens by making the little things every single day you know whether that's you know health wellness food you know if you're out there in the world you want to change your diet I think sometimes people make the mistake, in my opinion, of trying to cut everything out all at once, you know, and then it just, you know, maybe they can do it for a few days, but it just becomes too overwhelming. But, you know, start with one thing today, and then maybe next week, one other little thing, and next week, one other little thing, and before you know it, you're going to have the diet and the clean body or the physique, whatever your goal is uh, in that space towards that. So I think that that's a, a really
2: valuable goal that I learned.
0: Stay tuned. More of our conversation is on the way after a quick word from the sponsor of today's episode, Blue Apron
2: incredible ingredients make incredible meals. That's why Blue Apron partners with a community of over 150 artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, sustainable fisheries, and responsible ranchers across the United States. Thanks to these partnerships, Blue Apron is able to deliver fresh, seasonal, perfectly portioned ingredients with easy-to-follow recipes right to your door for under $10 a person per meal. Log in each week to select the recipes you want to cook or let Blue Apron choose based on your food preferences. With Blue Apron, there's no weekly commitment, so you only get the deliveries when you want them. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. When you cook with Blue Apron, you bring the best ingredients to your table while developing a sustainable food system for future generations. Join the growing community of Blue Apron home chefs today and get your first three Blue Apron meals free, plus free shipping at blueapron.com motivated. That's blueapron.com motivated. Blue Apron, a better way to cook.
0: So day to day, what's your fitness um, regimen looking like? I mean, what, what kind of activities do you do? What kind of diet do you follow? I mean, I'm guessing you're not eating six to eight thousand calories a day <laughs> no, on a regular I, basis. I,
1: I don't eat six to seven, eight thousand <laughs> calories per day on a regular basis. Um, no, I, you know, obviously I'm a very active person, uh, having been a professional athlete in triathlon for a number of years, and now this. Um, obviously, I stay, I stay very fit. I actually um, find that um, for me, I, I really just enjoy, um, you know, swimming, biking, running, those kind of aerobic activities. Are really good for me. Um, but I also enjoy sort of, you know, plyometric uh, strength type of workout. So that's uh, the type of physical activity. I Have you ever heard of the class? Here no, in New York City. No. Okay, so I was just a friend of mine um, named J C. She's a co-founder of this, but I was just went to her class uh, yesterday. It's called the class in New York, and it's all this. It's mostly women. I was like one, pretty much the only guy in the <laughs> class. But I was, you know, a friend of mine. I just met. I just wanted to check out her class. And it's like this really cool plyometric exercise, kind of like loud music and like jumping around and, and moving your body in t- that way. What are plyometrics for people who aren't so? Aware? So plyometrics is essentially body weight exercises. So instead of you know having to have a ton of weights or feeling intimidated by being in the weight room and you know, throwing around a big weights or even medicine balls. That this. It's um, you know sort of activating your muscles in a way that's you know sort of like lunges or jumping or I guess burpees or you know body weight exercises mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and I, I love body weight because I feel too. like that's
0: the most applicable to real life. Exactly. This is what I'm carrying around every day, not a medicine ball or a 20 pound dumbbell. A
1: hundred percent. So um, you know I do some weight training, but I actually really like that type of that type of exercise for my strength training, which is you know high reps um, using body weight. But I think that you can you know change your body so much using that, and I'm you know also. So it's really accessible. I travel a lot, so I'm always looking for ways that I can, you know, if I have a pair of shoes and, you know, shorts, something like that, what ex- what can I do? If I, or if I'm in a hotel room on the other side of the world for some reason, what can I still do to, like, move my body? And body weights, you know, squats and that kind of stuff is, you know, great workout. So it was fun for me to go to this class, which was totally, like, out of my comfort zone I'll in terms of, it <laughs> but it was really cool. So I, how, I encourage you to check it how out. How
0: often are you exercising?
1: So I'm actually, ex- you know, I pretty much have a daily uh, exercise uh, routine. Um, it's been in when I'm in training for something, obviously I ramp that up and I'm training, you know, way more than a, a normal person should probably exercise, you know, some is four, six, seven hours a day. Sometimes that's but when you're that's,
0: training for something. Yeah.
1: When I have, you know, when I'm either racing a triathlon, which I don't do any much anymore, but, or when I was training for this project or I have some other projects on the horizon, um, you know, I'm really ramp that up, but in the day to day, you know, if, you know, I'm talking to just a normal person, you know, I think, you know, 30 minutes an hour every single day is, 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 a great, uh, is a great goal. You know, even if some of that's just, just walking or moving your body, I you know, I'm also a a big believer in you know low heart rate um, type of exercise is just is just great for building aerobic capacity. Um, and then in terms of eating, you know I eat a, a pretty healthy diet. Uh, my my dad is an organic farmer in Hawaii actually. Oh and my
0: gosh, what a great life! <laughs> my, I'm sure you like to visit him. Yeah.
1: And then my mom uh, and stepdad founded a chain of natural foods grocery stores in the Pacific Northwest uh, when I was a kid. And so I grew up around a pretty you know healthy eating environment. And uh, I think when I was a kid I rebelled from that a little bit. Like why don't I get like these other you know <laughs> junkie snacks right. um, you know all the other kids have it, but now I realize what a gift that was uh, to be you know to have that healthy lifestyle surrounding me um and so what works well for my body i you know i i've learned my body well enough that i don't you know measure every calorie every you know everything in and out just because for me that's a little bit too much um but you know in my own life, I just understand the balance of what i need i you know I like to eat a lot of. I think a typical lunch or something for me would be like a, you know, a bowl of quinoa with, you know, a bunch of, you know, steamed vegetables, uh, maybe, uh, you know, light protein like a a chicken or a fish or something like that, you know, beans, rice, that kind of thing. That's the type of stuff that just, you know, makes me feel good. I usually start the day with a green smoothie of some kind. um, So that's what you do for breakfast? uh, Yeah, yeah. Do you uh, you eat before workouts? I do. I personally do. Uh, It depends. Um, But, you know, I think there's certainly science behind particularly weight loss, um, which is not my goal. But, you know, you know, doing that first workout of the day early in the morning after the nighttime fast, um, you know, there's certainly some science behind that. But, you know, for me, particularly on longer workouts, I feel like I want to fuel myself throughout. So I I usually, you know, eat beforehand or if it's a long workout during even the mountains, that's important.
0: And is there a time of day you prefer to work out?
1: I think the morning, you know, for me, um, I I personally like the morning and I have a a bit of a more flexible schedule um, than other people but you know I tell people that all the time the morning for me is the one time of day that I think everyone can control really well you know and then right. it's you say oh I'm going to work out after work or I'm going to yeah. work out in the afternoon and all of a sudden you know five different things come up and you're like oh blah, blah, and that's the first thing you compromise so my advice yeah. for myself um, as well as anyone else uh, you know out there listening is is the morning to me the morning works the best that's also you know I have a daily meditation routine and I find that if I say oh you know I'll meditate before bed or something like that like it doesn't always happen but if mm-hmm. i say i'm gonna get up uh, i'm gonna meditate or i'm gonna eat breakfast or just i feel like routine you can have in the morning more easily than other times of day at least for me that's the case
0: yeah i feel like if i don't work out by 10 a- 10 a.m i will not work out right not because i don't want to but totally. like you said things life go along, <laughs> life <laughs> happens you know. and then you know getting to the gym for me after it's dark it's like dragging rocks totally. down the street it totally. is so hard yeah. it
1: feels unsustainable the so last thing i want to do morning's usually pretty good yeah yeah
0: um so you talk about your meditation routine mm-hmm. how is meditation Played into your your journey, your your fitness and your spiritual journey.
1: Yeah, it um, you know, I was uh was uh, another another podcast here with Dan Harris talking about that One a and bit. Uh, dad
0: Dan got me meditating. Yeah, he's, he's well, the ambassador of meditation. He's a
1: guy. You know, I love what he says. Ten percent <laughs> happier. You yeah. know, it's hard to knock that. Yeah. Anyone could take that. But what you um, know, the,
0: what he said to me that actually really turned things around for me because you know when you're meditating, I'm sure you do this like most people do. I was telling myself how bad I was at it the whole time I'm meditating. I'm like, your mind's wandering again. You suck at this. This is terrible. You're wasting your time. He said, just begin again without penalty. Yeah. And that exactly. to me was like, okay, like yeah. I can just start over anytime.
1: Anytime. Yeah, start again. That's uh, definitely another mantra of mine for <laughs> sure. But so I, similar to Dan, actually, we have similar stories in terms of both a little bit of skeptics, I think, when we went into it. But a friend of mine, she said, she came to a race of mine about five or six years ago. She said, hey, I don't know that much about sports, but I see that what you're doing is incredibly mental. And I think that you could benefit from meditation. And I said, well, what do you suggest? And she said kind of an outlandish idea. She said, well, there's these 10-day silent meditation retreats in Vipassana. I think you should go attend one. And I was like, what do you mean by that? She's <laughs> That's like, how you wanted to start? She was like, she's like, yeah, so it's no reading, no writing, no <laughs> eye contact. It's about 12 to 15 hours a day of meditation. It's 10 days long. You have to stay the whole time. But, um, as you might have guessed from this conversation, I'm a slightly extreme person. You? No way. (laughs) So, I signed up a 10-day silent meditation retreat, having not you know, meditated a single minute in my entire <laughs> life. And uh, that was my first deep dive. That was 2011, about six years ago. Um, was it, it excruciating? Extremely hard for me to sit still that long. Um, but in the end, it was probably one of the best things, if not the best thing that I ever did for myself. Um, although I was hoping to have gains in the athletic you know, field of play, it was so much more than that for me, just in my day-to-day life, just the calmness that I feel, my interaction with others, my self awareness, all dramatically improved. Um, and so that's been a part of my, you know, sort of daily life. I, Um, You know, it's it's not like a monk like you are at the 10-day silent meditation (laughs) retreat, although I have returned and done that. uh, I try to do that once per year, so I just finished another one a couple months ago, another 10 days. Those are always, you know, really impactful for me. Um, But the daily practice, like you said, you know, what what Dan said you, like start again, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, like sit down, take that second uh, to calm your mind. And even if you don't feel like you're like this perfect, you know, blissed out, um, you know, monk on a mat where your mind is completely blank, like just taking that time, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day to just like sit still don't look at the phone like our lives are so crazy and hectic and busy you know mine is no different than that but taking that time really just really energizes me you know you think you don't have the 15 minutes in the day to do that but I find by taking those 15 minutes I have so much more productivity throughout the day that more than makes up for it yeah
0: it's all about prioritizing yeah. and I love you know they call it the monkey mind right because right. jumping from limb right. to limb and I was watching this YouTube video with a, a monk and he said well meditation is when you give the monkey a job you say monkey watch the breath <laughs> yeah so I think about exactly. that a lot i love you to watch the breath. I love that. Nothing more.
1: And like you said, the, you know, our minds are going to wander. Like I've, you know, I've done these meditation retreats now and I, and I try to meditate daily, but you know, my mind wanders all the time, but giving yourself that permission, not being so hard on yourself, be like, Oh, this is what's happening moment to moment. Right now my mind's wandering. And then of course you try to pull that back in, you know, observe your breath for, you know, sometimes it's a few seconds, sometimes it's a few minutes, but like just the practice of doing that is really purposeful and has been great in my life.
0: And you also talked about the importance of, of rest and recovery. And when you were embarking on... The, the challenges that you were doing. I mean, rest and recovery was really, really crucial.
1: Absolutely. And I think that this is something, maybe the one of the most important things that is missed um, in the fitness community or not discussed enough. Um, I'm all about, you know, whatever you're into, whether that's, you know, going crazy hard in a CrossFit gym or just you, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm all about, you know, putting the time in, working hard, getting that sweat on. Um, but the body actually gets stronger when we are recovering. You know, the, the, we're putting the stress out in the gym, but we are actually getting the gains from that strength when we're sitting still. Um, and that goes with rest and that goes with getting the right amount of sleep. That also goes right with fueling our body correctly um, at the right times of day, getting those uh, replenishing our body right after workouts um, to make sure we have the right nutrients that actually build, um, you know, the health of the healthful elements of that. So I think that that's super important. And throughout, even out, throughout this 139-day journey, um, although it was pretty, pretty non stop and there was times when I was you know just you know on my absolute limit in terms of being tired. I think the success of that project actually hinged on my ability any second I had to have sit still, whether that was in my tent, whether that was flying from continent to continent, those were restful moments. And when I, when I say restful, I don't just mean mean with my body, also my mind, like giving myself the permission, like this is dedicated rest. Um, as a professional athlete in triathlon, it was funny. I, I would, I would take naps most days. Um, you know, cause I would train in the morning and then oftentimes train in the afternoon or sometimes train three times per day. And a nap seems like almost kind of like a luxury in it's a like, day-to-day you, day to day life. Yeah, what do you know? You're just take napping? a nap in the middle of the day? <laughs> um, and granted, you know, when you're exercising six, eight hours a day, is different than, than normal. Um, but that was almost like purposeful. It was like, it was not just like, oh, I'm tired. I should take a nap. It's like, no, I have to nap right now. And again, that's an extreme example, but it's the importance of that rest. Like, it's not like I'm definitely don't believe in the like, no pain, no gain, just the harder you push, the, you know, the stronger. Like, actually, when you do a great combination of pushing hard fueling yourself, resting, getting enough sleep—like that's when the full package comes together. And even with even with weight loss, which I know in in the wellness space is you know, certainly a goal of a lot of people. Um, and, and I'm, I'm all for promoting that. That you know, when we have this high raised cortisol levels from not sleeping, from having too much stress in, in our day to day lives, um, that doesn't allow our bodies to recover and heal, and essentially you know lose weight. So rest is a huge component of all of those things. Yeah,
0: it's all about self care. Yeah, when you take for care sure. of your body, your body will take care of you for sure. Now you mentioned goals so uh, so what goal are you working towards now something tells me you have some huge goal on. <laughs> uh, I
1: do I do unfortunately I, I'm not quite ready to announce oh, man, it um, so I want to be coy but uh, <laughs> check back uh, you all know, my social media at Colin O'Brady and my website beyond 72 which incorporates all the um, you know work we're doing with the, the kids and it's promoting kids health all over the country um, keep an eye on that because uh, we'll have some big announcements for you soon um, yeah we definitely will yeah
0: congratulations on all you've accomplished true yeah. you? I mean this is called motivated and you really have motivated me and Uh, I'm sure everybody listening.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for being here. All
0: right. Staying motivated is a 24-7 job. Let's keep this conversation going. Send us your questions by using the hashtag motivated or tweet me at MaraCamp. Help spread the motivation by taking a moment to give us a quick review. Just click the link in the description of this episode. New episodes post Monday mornings. And don't forget, you can watch this interview anytime at abcnews.com. Motivated is a production of ABC News. Thanks for listening. I'm Mara schiavel Big thanks to the sponsor of today's episode, Blue Apron.
2: Incredible ingredients make incredible meals. That's why Blue Apron partners with a community of over 150 artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, sustainable fisheries, and responsible ranchers across the United States. Thanks to these partnerships, Blue Apron is able to deliver fresh, seasonal, perfectly portioned ingredients with easy-to-follow recipes right to your door for under $10 a person per meal. Log in each week to select the recipes you want to cook or let Blue Apron choose based on your food preferences. With Blue Apron, there's no weekly commitment, so you only get the deliveries when you want them. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. When you cook with Blue Apron, you bring the best ingredients to your table while developing a sustainable food system for future generations. Join the growing community of Blue Apron home chefs today and get your first three Blue Apron meals free plus free shipping at blueapron.com motivated. That's blueapron.com slash motivated blue apron, a better way to cook.